evidence and answers. We've been hearing a lot about police brutality in the news today. Is there systemic racism in the police force today? Should we defund our police force? Does the Bible address this issue of law enforcement? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucheran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, Pat and his guest, Dr. Ross Hinkling, will discuss the issue of the Bible and police brutality. Now with part one is our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, we have been hearing a lot about police brutality in the news today. Is there systematic racism in the police force today? Should we defund or even dismantle our police force? Does the Bible address this issue of law enforcement? To help us address this issue is Dr. Ross Hickling. Ross served as Senior Inspector of the United States Marshal Service after serving as a federal and local law enforcement officer for over 20 years. In his years of law enforcement, he worked in the areas of undercover work, narcotics, as a narcotics detective, SWAT, fugitive hunter, and more. After his career in law enforcement, he attained a Master's in Apologetics from Biola University and a Ph.D. from Northwest University in South Africa. So, Ross, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you very much, Patrick. It is such a joy to be here with you on the island of Oahu, such a beautiful island, and I have so much history here, and I've been enjoying myself, and it's been a pleasure getting to know you as well in your ministry. Yeah, Ross, since you're a first-time visitor here on Evidence and Answers, tell us a little bit about your background. Yes, for 26 years I was in law enforcement, both local and federal. I was, for five years, I was with the Portsmouth, Virginia Police Department and did a full gambit of duties there to include being a police officer, beat officer, and also a narcotics detective and a SWAT team operative. And then after five years with them, I transferred to the United States Marshal Service, where most of what I did was fugitive apprehension and, of course, other sundry duties as assigned as well. There's so much to do in the U.S. Marshal Service, so many different duties. Yes, tell us about your journey to faith, how you came to faith in Christ. Well, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to come back to Oahu, was to actually make sort of a pilgrimage of sorts. And when I was in 10 years old, our family was in a rough spot. My father was seeking for answers, and a person said, well, go to Grace Bible Church up in Kalihi. And so we sure did. And it was a, a very exuberant church, and I must say that when we were in the church, I was sort of laughing to myself because I was an unbeliever, and there was very enthusiastic worship. But at the end of the service, my father ran up to the altar wow. and gave his life to Christ, and that is what I see also is when I came to Christ as well when I was 10 years old. Wow. So tell us what made you decide to go into law enforcement as a career? Well, actually, that was more of a thing where what was presenting to me as the best decision for myself at the time, it allowed me to get married to my wife, Andrea. Before that, I was helping my oldest brother, Scott, with his security company, but that there was not a lot of pay and benefits that would enable me to get married. So when I applied to different police departments and one finally came through, that was a watershed moment for me because I could get married and, and also I could serve in ministry as a law enforcement officer. I believe 
Colossians 3 says that we should do everything as unto the Lord, and that's how I viewed my law enforcement career. Yeah, great. Now, before we get into our specific topic here of police brutality, tell us, what does the Bible teach regarding the role of government, and especially as it applies to enforcing justice and peace in a society? Sure. Well, there's one scripture that comes to mind immediately, which is Titus 3.1. Paul is discussing generally about believers and how they should act in a cultural setting, in a civil setting, and he states clearly, put them in mind to be in subjection to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready unto every good work. In other words, you should be obedient to the authorities, to the government that is over you. And also, in addition to that, Romans 13.1 also states that we should be, as Christians, subject to the governing authorities to include the police. They are God's servant to us. People are also the authority, too, in our form of government. So we sort of have an interesting scenario where we are to be subject to the authority over us, but yet the people themselves govern. So we should be subject to the mandates of the law and the enforcement of the law with the police. But yet, on the other hand, the police officers are also to be subject to the people through their elected representatives. So I think that's sort of an interesting dynamic. So you see submission to the police, but also the police should submit also to the will of the people as well. Yeah, and I see in the Bible, you know, when we look even at the Old Testament law, that the primary role of government is to execute justice stand against evil, and to protect life. And so, you know, that, me, I, as I see in the Bible, is the primary role of government here, and law enforcement is a big part of it. Absolutely. I mean, I would agree with you. Leviticus 19, I'm sure you're familiar with it. I say it applies to police officers and the citizenry. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality. And this applies to the police, but also the citizenry as well. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't steal as police officers. We shouldn't rob or endanger lives. But also, again, that applies to the citizenry as well. The citizenry should not lie, and they shouldn't steal, loot, etc. Yeah, and I see law enforcement as a necessity if people are going to live together, because as we study the Bible, we have a sin nature. And as good as many people I know, you know, are out there, that's in nature, you know. I mean, if we get yeah. into a jam, I know great Christians, right. they ding a car, they're pulling in the parking lot, there's nobody around. I mean, there's a strong tendency to just go. And what about speeding and things like that? So there is that sinful tendency, even amongst people as good as, and as moral as they can try to be. So there is a necessity, I see, for some kind of law enforcement. And, and we saw that, you know, throughout the Old Testament as well, even amongst the people of Israel who are. God's people. Yeah, well stated. Another point along with that is I don't think we're going to have police officers in heaven mm-hmm. enforcing anything because the Lord is going to take away our sin nature once we, we are in heaven. But yeah, here down on earth, you said it well, we have that fallen nature. So it is important, incumbent to have representatives of the people enforcing the law. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we've seen a lot in the press regarding enforcement of the law, and we see a lot of movies going out. How did this whole issue of police brutality and all that come to the forefront, it seems like, in the last five, six years? Yeah, you know, you did mention police movies, etc., and I think sometimes that doesn't do the police profession any 
sort of favor because it shows sort of a cavalier nature. You know, somebody might get involved in some sort of altercation or chase and they kind of blow the pistol and put it back into their holster and then just walk off like nothing really happened to serious. But whenever that happens to a police officer, that is a major event and it can be very stressful. And some police officers even commit suicide uh, over these sorts of incidents when they happen. But, you know, I noticed it with a run up to the election where Trump and Clinton were running against each other. It was the first time I heard this language about systemic police brutality. And it really surprised me because immediately it hit me, well, if it's systemic and if it's everywhere, that means that most police officers are engaging in police brutality, which I know is not the case. And there's many statistics to show how well arrests, how many arrests there are and how many police officers are doing this. And then we see maybe ever so often we see a report of police brutality, but then it's like, oh, they're all brutalizers of the citizenry and it happens all the time. Well, the truth is, you know, there's 10.2 million arrests that were registered in 2018 and we only had a very small handful of problem cases that we see in the media. And even some of those can be disputed as well. So I think this is a very serious challenge to law and order in our society today. Let me ask you the question, you know, directly. Has there been systemic, and you may want to tell us what we mean when we say systemic, police brutality here in the United States? Right, yeah. Systemic would be that it's pervasive, it's all over, it's in every state, it's just part of the warp and woof, part of the substance of being in law enforcement. You're going to brutalize people in the community consistently all the time. I think if you look back into history in my beloved United States Marshal Service where I served for almost 21 years, I think you will see that you have to say that at one point there was systemic police brutality in the sense that there were people who were turning their heads the other way when lynchings were occurring in the deep south. Mm-hmm. There were uh, law enforcement organizations that were sustaining the slave trade. So I think back then and also into the future uh, reconstruction during that period after the Civil War, I think you see that this still was happening in parts of the country where law enforcement were turning their heads when lynchings were occurring and other uh, crimes to put down African Americans. I think you see it even into the civil rights area. And we have uh, instances even where Christian ministers they were actually supporting the civil rights movement. They were beaten unfairly. And so, yeah, I think definitely in our past, there is a history of systemic police brutality turning the head the other way when these lynchings were happening. But interestingly enough, there were also others who were, even in this time of this dark time, were standing against it and gave their all. I mean, I think of uh, somebody in the Colfax, Louisiana era in the time of Reconstruction that was actually so passionate about defending the rights of African Americans that this white sheriff gave his life for the cause of equal rights for African Americans and protecting them as well. Yes, and I think that's one of the great things of a just society that is abiding by the eternal law of God. I mean, we have the ability, because in you know a lot of places, The government is the law. There's nothing above the government. You know, whatever they say goes. Or as, you know, our founding fathers stated it, well, we're a nation under God, under God's law. 
And so we have the ability to look back at history like this that you mentioned and say, no, that's not right, because they were disobeying a higher law. And that's, I think, one of the great things of America. Yeah, we've got a lot of flaws. And like you said, a lot of abuses take place. But we have the ability to look back or even in the current situation say, no, I don't care if it was a government official. I don't care if it was the governor. I don't care if it was the president. They were wrong. And we have the ability to at least speak that and share that and critique that and even look back on history and judge that as was it right or was it wrong? Right. Yeah, I think, and it's so important what you said, we do as Christians, we have a foundation in the Ten Commandments, the law, and also the teachings of Jesus and other authors of the New Testament. They tell us that we should turn away from evil and we should do good and we should turn the other cheek and we should do the golden rule. And these are the foundations upon our morals. And so I think you make an excellent point, Patrick. So yes, there you know, have been cases at times where there has been police brutality and abuse of the government authority. Well, how about today? Is there current systemic police brutality in the United States? Well, I think that's a great question. And I think you do have to go back to the roots of the, uh, actually the civil rights movement. And that's when we started to see a change. And even my beloved U.S. Marshal Service, we were actually enforcing some of the Fugitive Slave Acts back in our history in the 18th and 19th century. We were the ones that were designated to actually go and hunt down fugitives. But as the country changed, so changed the U.S. Marshal Service. And I'm mentioning this because in the civil rights era, there was a student who was the first African-American young lady to go to a school to be integrated within it, and the U.S. Marshals were actually protecting her. Also, James Meredith at Old Miss in the 60s, he was the first African-American student to go to Old Miss, and the U.S. Marshals also protected him. So you see a shift, whereas where culture was uh, back in the day, we'll say several hundred years ago, they were against the African-American gaining freedom. Now in the 1960s, you have a scenario where the U.S. Marshal Service were actually protecting the rights of African-Americans, and I'm proud to say that. And so what you see today is the exact opposite. You see many major cities and sheriffs of major counties, they are African-Americans, and you see that uh, in other uh, ethnicities as well, and you also see actually in the police officer staffs the number of people who are not Caucasian rising to meet the national averages of the population anyway. So you're seeing a dramatic shift. Plus, you also had a push for accreditation where the police were trying to meet a national standard. And so all of these factors today, when I was a police officer, I did not see where somebody was targeted because of the race. And I served on the street in the late 1980s and on into, say, 2014 is when I retired. I didn't see it at that point in my career. So I would say to you, systemic police brutality now? Oh, absolutely not. Now, periodically, do you see cases of police brutality? Of course, that's always going to exist. But is it systemic today? I don't see it. I don't see any evidence for it. Yeah. Ross, are there statistics then that give us insight into whether there is systemic police brutality in the United States? Well, right. Yeah, I mentioned that a little bit earlier. The statistics, 10.2 million arrests in 2018 happened across the United States. This is reported by the FBI. 
And again, you only see a handful of police brutality incidents that are reported in the media. There's over 700,000 police officers nationwide that serve in different localities and jurisdictions, over 17,000 jurisdictions. And then you have this small amount of police brutality cases that come into the media. I think this itself is quite informative to tell us that, no, there is not systemic police brutality in the United States. And actually, the police departments do rather well in uh, actually protecting the citizenry and also not going too far with their measures to arrest people. Yes. Then why do people insist then that there is systemic brutality in the police force? You know, I think it might, this might be happening more today because of the rise of critical theory, which is a philosophy that was started in the 20th century, early 20th century, and it was known that this was actually socialist and communist in origin, and they were trying to overthrow capitalism. That was one of their aims. And so I think this has permeated our society now, this critical theory, and that's where you see this systemic language, because if it's systemic, then we're going to have to get rid of it because there's no improving it. We have to just wipe the board clean. We have to get rid of the police officers. We have to get rid of the institution of police work and then start afresh. But we know and we've seen in other countries that when this happens, there's a power void and whoever controls the streets controls the country. So it's obvious if you look at Mexico that what you will see is is when the police profession is degraded, then what happens is the narco-terrorists will take their place. And I suggest to you that that is what will happen because the way it's formulated now Police departments are actually supervised by the people. In other words, if somebody does something, we have recourse, and it's in our own communities that we have this recourse. However, if the police departments are wiped clean and we start afresh, then it's basically going to be like the wild, wild west, where everybody is trying to look after their own concerns, which I think is dangerous. Yes, and you made a good point here that the police is supervised or held accountable by the people, but the people themselves must be morally good people as well. Otherwise, like you said, it ends up, you know, in tribal warfare, and really it's those who can control or gain the power that's really going to control what goes on in the society and in the law enforcement. Yeah, that's right. They call it the thin blue line. That's what they call law enforcement, and it's called the thin blue line because People, the citizenry, as you stated, they have to be a moral citizenry. If everybody was corrupt and if everybody was committing crimes, then there's no way that the police force could actually address crime and actually do justice well because there wouldn't be enough police officers to take care of all of the problems that would present. So absolutely true. Now, you mentioned critical theory from which comes, you know, critical race theory and the new social justice movement we hearing a lot with this defund the police movement so explain to us a little bit more about how that critical theory is playing a role in this whole defund the police movement and even with groups like black lives matter right well you know it's interesting because howard thurman who was an african-american philosopher he was discussing how the african-americans were objectified 
through their history. In other words, we made them objects. They weren't real people. And when you make people less than human, just objects, then you can. it's very easy to rationalize doing things to them, uh, treating them inhumanely, killing them, which is what was happening way back in the slave era in our country, which was horrible and reprehensible. But I suggest that that is what is happening right now, is that we have objectified the police officers. We've made them just merely objects. And when you make them objects, then you can assassinate them, then you can injure them, and you can ridicule them and then degrade them. But as we were discussing earlier, I think this is something that actually paves the way to, say, a socialist utopia, which I would suggest to you is no utopia at all, where if you have systemic racism in police and police brutality, then you wipe away the institution of police, then you're going to have anarchy. And once you have anarchy, that's when socialism, the new order, will come in. Capitalism will be stripped away, and then you'll have a centralized power, probably from D.C., that will control the entire country and the entire government, a strongman, as it were, or a communist dictatorship. And I think that that's, if we're not careful, that is where we're heading. So in other words, the Honolulu Police Department would cease to exist, and then there would be some sort of national force that the people of Hawaii, they couldn't actually manage or take care of themselves. It would be sort of an oppressive force that would be sent here from some other part of the, of the country, and it would be something that wouldn't be able to be controlled. Yeah, and that's, you know, what we see when we go to countries in Eastern Europe and in Asia that are under socialist type of government, which you've been in those countries as well. Yeah, you know, I was speaking to somebody who used to be an Asian police officer, and he was very blunt with me. He says, I've seen people murdered. I've seen people taken out all the time. It happens all the time in our country. I'm not going to mention which country it is, but that is what you will get. You will have no recourse for the people. Things will just happen, and the people will be oppressed without any recourse. I suggest to you the way we have it structured now is the best possible way because, again, the citizens have a say-so. They have recourse. They have a redress. If something happens, then they can go to their elected officials and take care of it. Yeah, and you notice what the protesters from this particular ideology are saying. They're not saying reform the police. They're saying defund the police. That's a different message there. Tell us about that. Right. It is interesting because when you defund the police department, you're further degrading their ability to do the police work that they need to do to keep the community safe. And so it was interesting that once these major cities started defunding the police, what you see is rising crime rates, rising violent crime rates in New York City and Chicago and other major cities. And then there's a cry, like even Minneapolis, oh, let's refund the police because this isn't working very well. But what I always thought was interesting when I was a local police officer was that I knew that I had the support from the high crime communities, uh, and, and those who were in Portsmouth, some of them were African-American, and they supported the police, and I knew I had their support. I even had a young man on one scenario. I couldn't quite catch up with a man who had committed a crime and was fleeing, and I said to an African-American gentleman, help me catch that man, and he immediately caught them, always calling in, always assisting us when crimes were occurring. But it seems that this cooperation was not translating to the public sphere of public relations where 
certain people in the community were always bashing the police. And me as a police officer, I always said to myself, it sure would be nice if the cooperation that we had on the street, that it translated to those who were in authority and who were the, the voice of the community, because I never heard anything, any compliments, anything good, anything constructive coming out. It was basically bashing the police department. So that's one thing that I wish, too, is that some of these representatives that are in the communities would recognize all of the good work that's being done every day on the street. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. So if you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Evidence and Answers.